economic impact of immigration has widely been studied and the opinions have varied from positive for economic growth and development to a complete drain on the public purse. Whether a benefit or burden, immigration is causing controversy globally and locally. The Bahamas, a country with a population of almost 400,000 citizens and residents, issues over 30,000 work permits annually and over 13,000 labor certificates during the 12-month period from September 1, 2021 to August 21, 2022. This, while all recording an unemployment rate of 9.9% or 21,800-plus unemployed persons in May of 2019. Startling numbers, I bet. Is the Bahamas too economically dependent on migrant workers, or are they just essential for the country's economic survival? Let's not be mistaken. Migrant workers are crucial to the development of any country. The question, though, is how to balance the need for such workers with the social consequences derived from relying too heavily on them to the exclusion of Bahamian workers. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of CFAL Talks. I am Pamela Ferguson, Vice President of Investments here at CFAL, and joining me in studio today are my colleagues, Lachelle White, Investments Manager, and Angelo Butler, Senior Analyst at CFAL. In today's episode, we will explore immigration from an economic perspective and discuss the topic, Does the Bahamas Need Migrant Workers to Thrive? So, Angelo and Lachelle, there have been talks from officials over the past few weeks about labor shortages in the Bahamas. The director of labor stated that Bahamians don't want to do these jobs, and so they have to get labor certificates for foreigners to work in the country. So do you think our labor shortage, if we have one, should be filled with migrant or Bahamian workers? Well, um, to start off with, the, a labor shortage is where you have the demand for workers in a particular occupation. When the demand is greater than the supply of workers who are qualified, who are available, and who are willing to do that job at the specific wage and under those specific conditions. Now, the Bahamas is a relatively small country, and we have a lot of tourists. You mentioned over 7 million we had come in last year. We have a lot of foreign development, and we also need a lot of local development. So I think that there is going to be some need to have migrant workers over Bahamian workers. But on the other hand, we can't um, keep up this policy in perpetuity. We're going to need both to work hand in hand. So I think that we should also look at making sure that we train workers for the future so we don't have to rely so much on migrant workers. But I do think that we will always need maybe uh, a bit of migrant workers to help. You know, I find the, the term labor shortage to be problematic because I think if you look on the ground and you speak to people, you see the, you know, the job fairs, how much persons um, are in need of jobs. I often wonder, you know, how can we have a labor shortage when our unemployment is very high? Um, you know, if you look at developed countries, you know, they have unemployment rates in the four to five percent range. Um, 
you know, pre-pandemic, I would say we were like maybe 10, 11%. And now it's, you know, estimated at about 20, 25%. And it's particularly worse um, amongst younger people. So, you know, I always hate to hear this term um, labor shortage. I think it's a a convenient excuse used by um, our leaders. Um, And we'll discuss later why, you know, the work permit is um, economically beneficial to the government. Um, But overall, I think, you know, we need to, um, you know, have a freeze, I think, on um, work permits and, and as best as possible, try to get um, behemoths as many jobs possible. I know in a lot of cases, the areas that we see these workers is what would be considered cheap labor. So maybe there's a cheap labor shortage um, rather, in my view, than an overall labor shortage. I agree with you, um, Angelo. We are talking about labor shortage when we have over 20,000 persons that are unemployed. There was an article last year that noted the comments of two past Bahamas Construction Association presidents, uh, Stephen Winkle and Leonard Sands. Stephen Winkle said that there is a shortage, and that's because people are retiring and young people are not interested in entering the market. And then Leonard Sands said that they're talking about a shortage, but they don't have any evidence of this shortage. And I totally agree with him. Uh, The government has access to information, but how are they using that information to set policy? How are you determining where the shortage exists and if, in fact, there is a shortage? And it's difficult to believe if you have such a high unemployment rate. And so I think more needs to be done with transparency, presenting this information to us so we can see. So where are the shortages? Like you said, Pam, we need the data. We need transparency. Leonard Sands mentioned that there are are thousands of people in the construction sector looking for work. And you would think that they would be upset when you have these big projects and they're bringing over hundreds and hundreds of people and the government is collecting work permits, but they're sitting at home and they don't have any jobs. And they are, in some um, instances, they are skilled for these jobs. I know that the Department of Labor, you can register your skill set for a particular job. Do they look at this before they issue the work permits? I don't know if we do any sort of targeted research um, before we give out the work permits or we just say, okay, you're coming here with your $100 million projects and how much work permits do you need? 5000 Okay, we're going to give that to you. We're going to collect the fees and then we're going to move on. While it may be the case that Bahamians cannot fill all of those positions, I don't think we look at training Bahamians and I don't think we properly look at, hey, if you want to bring in five welders, you have to train five Bahamian welders if that if you say that there's a shortage in the country. And I think that's what it's supposed to be. It's like when you give somebody a work permit, they're supposed to train people. I know that was the case in the banking industry, but I don't think it ever happens because the government never really follows up. In 2012, the IDB did a report. And overall, the report suggested that there was a skills mismatch in the country. And some of the results from the survey revealed that Employers felt that 34% of the persons surveyed lack specific skills for the job. 29% lack the experience. And 28% lack the soft skills. This was in 2012. Can anyone say what has been done on a national level since 2012? 
to address this problem? Any programs in the schools? Anything that has been done to say, okay, this is what is being determined, and so we're going to put specific programs into the school. I remember way back then I went to C.H. Reeves and they had this course called Woodwork. And normally we looked at it as a lot of the boys who just didn't want to be bothered, they would go to Woodwork, but never really did anything, you know, from what we noticed, tangible. So imagine if you say, if you say that, okay, we need some plumbers, we need additional plumbers. Now, I was looking into it for a family friend several years ago. And you need to know geometry to be a good plumber. Mm -hmm. So wouldn't it be better to have a prep course in the high school for persons who want to do jobs like that? And then when they leave, they can follow it up at the BTVI as opposed to waiting until persons spend 12 years, these young men in most cases, 12 years in school, leave school and then ask them to go to BTVI to school and not be paid. That's going to be a challenge. So I think that the problem is the government, our officials are not using the intelligence to make good policy decisions to address the problem. And like you mentioned, Angelo, there's a lot of manipulation that's going on in the sector. And then on top of that, I don't think the ministry have the tools to monitor it and to determine what's going on. And so we are being short in terms of revenue that government can collect because of this manipulation, and we are disadvantaging Bahamian workers under the guise of we have shortages and the skill set does not exist to be able to fill the positions that are being required to be filled. Yeah, I agree completely. I think, first off, like you mentioned, we need proper data collection. You need to collect this data and you need to properly analyze it. And then I think our policymakers also have to admit that there are a lot of gaps in the education system. Like you mentioned, Pam, you should start if we we know today, okay, you say we need welders. So start a program in high school for young men or young women if they want interested in the subject. When you graduate, you can get a scholarship to go to PTBI or COB or even abroad. And then you have to come back for a certain amount of years to do this job. But I mean, even those are, I think that like a welder would be a specialized job. But even in the the lower paying jobs, I saw um, Super Value had an ad out the other day about people they wanted, they were trying to recruit people for their butcher department. And, you know, they were giving, you know, saying that, you know, you can be trained and you'll make so much money an hour. But I mean, so why aren't we doing these things? It's because we just like to say these words. Oh, we need this. We need that. So what are you doing? So we're going to sit here and we're going to need it 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. I think we need to start with some programs you identify. I need X, Y, Z amount of workers in this field. So I'm going to go in the high school and I'm going to start work with the Ministry of Education, work with the teachers. And then we're going to get these programs started. We're going to give people scholarships. We're going to send them away to study. And then they're going to come back here. They can train others and they can learn and help to develop the country so we don't have to be reliant on the migrant workers. Even though I think we would still always maybe need some degree of migrant workers, we should be relying on our populace. Yeah, but if we need the migrant workers but have a high unemployment rate, then that's contributing to our social ills. So I don't think that policy of just continuing to issue work permit, issue work permit, when we have Bahamians who are unemployed... And in some case, in wrecking havoc on our society. According to Mr. Farkerson, Director of Labor, there's a skills gap or shortage in, with IT specialists, medical practitioners, 
financial service workers, welders, plumbers, carpenters, and also in the area of mason, like you mentioned, looking for butchers. They're prepared to, to train them, though. So there's a lot of areas where it is being said that we have this skills mismatch. And with this information and with the government having access to additional information, I think there should be programs established in the country. If it's too expensive to send persons off to school, bring the people in and have training institutes set up so that a person can get the requisite training in order to fill the jobs and be gainfully employed and contribute to the growth and development of our society. Yeah, and also even if you have all of these retired construction workers, you can also ask them to help and ask them to help train. They don't have to be in the field, but they can be in the classroom um, training these people. But I don't think we sit down and talk about it and discuss it. We just take the easy way out. So, hey, let me give you this work permit. Let me get a few million dollars for you. And then the Bahamians sit on the wayside. Um, they don't have a job and they become angry because they think that there is no opportunity for them in their own country. I think ever since Bahama, it may have been happening prior to, but ever since Bahama, I know we heard the conversation about the previous owner of Bahama needing some funding from China. And one of the conditions was that they have to send their workers to the Bahamas. But it just seems as though ever since Bahama came on stream and that policy being initiated, we have a lot of foreigners attached to these foreign-owned uh, development. Do you think we are too dependent on foreigners for these type of developments? I think that they sort of set a precedent with that. Even with the stadium, when they were... Um upgrading the stadium. And I still think that they have to do more work on the stadium. I think China said that they would do it, but they have to bring in their own workers. And the government said, kudos to the government for saying, no way, you can't do that. So I think that we just sort of take the easy way out. It's like, oh, thank you for bringing just a $100 million project here or whatever. And what do you want? Like, and we just give it to them and we don't think of the economic impact on ourselves. We just like to do the press conference, cut the ribbon and say, oh, we bought this here and you'll get a um, hundred low paying jobs afterward. But you don't um, consider um, the persons who are welders, who are plumbers, who are construction workers, you know, who can subcontract these things to, who can hire people, who can contribute to the economy. Because in most cases, the people who work with okay, they pay an NIP, the rest of that money is going out of the country. How is that contributing to our economy? But are they paying NIP? <laughs> well, that's <laughs> the correct NIP. You know? Yeah, well, I, I look at it, um, I think holistically, it's it's a lot of different factors in why this um, happens. I think, you know, like you referenced China, right? I think their policy is if we fund, we bring <laughs> Well, um, I mean, you can't blame them for that. And I think the government, you know, we find ourselves for one, desperate to just announce things and we need these announcements. You know, politically, the, the government is trying to um, get reelected and they, they believe these announcements and the jobs and stuff will get them reelected. So, you know, it's do we give some work permits versus having the project or do we tell them no and not have the project? So I think um, that position has caused us to just kind of go with the flow. And then I think, you know, with even like the U.S. firms or, you know, other countries, you know, there's friendships and cronyism all around. So, you know, if I have a resort in the Bahamas and, you know, my friend, I want to get him this job or I want someone who I trust um, in the leadership role. So I think we'll always see um, that component of it. I mean, you know, I think as well, we've seen that, you know, to be frank, the minister mentioned those projects on the family islands. Bayman's aren't really into 
picking up and going somewhere and living there and just working every day, all day. Why for do six, you say that though? Six, seven months. Why do months. you say that? I know a lot of family members. I am not a family island person, but I know a lot of family members that went back to one of the family islands. I think they live relatively hard, but they went back. I think one of the challenges with that is there is no infrastructure, infrastructure. on yeah. these family islands. Where are you going to live? For a young person, that isn't the most attractive um, thing. You know, I look at even like how they um promoting like jobs on the cruise ships, right? I, I feel like Bahamians, we're not, that's not really us. You see most of the workers on the cruise ships, they come from low wage countries or less developed countries with lower per capita income. So I think socially, um, you know, some of the projects aren't very attractive to Bahamians, to be honest. You see people go to like the Cocoa Keys and stuff and they leave in two, three weeks. Um, you know, they just can't take it too far away from family, nothing there to do. Um, so again, it does, we need to expand infrastructure on the family island so you get more people living there. And then when a company comes and says, we need 100 workers, we'd be like, oh, we have 100 workers right here. They live here. There's no excuse. Um, you should be able to pay them a decent wage because you have to bring these foreigners in, find somewhere for them to live, although many of them don't do it. Um, you know, it's cheaper. You just pay someone who already lives there. So, I mean, I think it's a, a range of reasons why we've seen this foreign influx, but we need to push back on it and stand up. We have too many payments unemployed. A couple of weeks ago, Mr. Bell indicated that there was a development out in the eastern New Providence. There were 76 workers on this project. 20 of the workers were Bahamian. That's about 26%. 56 of the workers were foreign. And they were all misclassified in terms of their work permit and what they said that they came to do. So the owners of the project classified the 56 of them as farm laborers. Interesting enough, the work permit fee for a farm laborer is $500. But when they went to this project, they were all skilled workers and they were in the range the work permit fee was in the range of five to six thousand dollars so you're talking about twenty eight thousand dollars that they paid versus two hundred and eighty to three hundred plus thousand dollars that they should have paid and then if they're not properly classified national insurance isn't getting the correct amount because five point the employer is paying five point nine percent on a salary probably that was minimum wage when it should have been higher. I believe that is representative of what's going on across this country. So whatever intelligence that the, the, the government thinks it has, it's incorrect. Because if the minister is asking for a report on a weekly or a monthly basis, I really don't know if they're doing that, but if they're asking for a port of work permit to see, okay, let me see where these work permits are allocated. And they're saying, oh, over 50% of farm laborer. Bahamians don't want to work in the farm. When in fact, the, the report is not correct because the persons who are hiring these persons or who are applying for labor certificate to hire these persons are not properly classifying them. So their inf the information that they have cannot be used to determine that Bahamians do not want to work in these various fields. And I think the worst part of, about that is what they said. You know, they say, oh, they will just have them reclassify them. Like there's no penalty. I think they 
they should have shut that construction site down, send all of those workers back and let them go through the process again of reapplying or, or penalize them or force them to hire behemoths. I mean, you just reclassify, allowing them to reclassify it, no penalty. Why would people stop? You know, you just do until you get catch. But yeah, we, there's no penalty in enforcement. But I wonder, like, what person said, didn't think, stop and think, okay, you have a construction development. Why do you need all these farm laborers? <laughs> you know, like, nobody. What, what, what are they growing? What are they growing? Where, <laughs> let me see some of your produce. It's like, you know, and I think so. I think in that terms that you can see that there may have been some corruption involved with that. If you have, if you're asking for farm laborers at a construction site, um, that should have been a, a huge red flag. And then they're showing that they're not, they're not interested or concerned about dealing with the problem because they are considering a three strikes and you're out. So isn't it cheaper for the company to hit two strikes and hope they don't get hit on the third strike? Because if you're going to pay $28,000 and don't pay the right national insurance, I would take that as opposed to recording those persons for the proper jobs because it will be too expensive for me. So I don't, I don't think from that angle, the government is showing that they are truly serious about dealing with this problem. And I don't think they understand that by not dealing with this problem, it is causing social degradation in our country. Because Bahamians who can probably go out there and work cannot find jobs to work because people are occupied. They are coming in, saying they're coming to, to work in the farm, and then you are saying Bahamians don't want to work in the farm, but they are in fact coming to work on a skill basis. So do you think then, Angelo, that the economic benefits derived from work permits are basically overshadowing the social challenges associated with the number of migrant, legal and illegal, in the country? Yes, I think so. I, you know, the government at the end of the day needs revenue, right? And whether we ex we like work permits or not, it's a significant line item on the budget, right? You you know, we look at a lot of things with the government and they, they just look at the very top, right? You say we have 7 million visitors, right? So the government gets some taxes from them. Um, cruise ship, every cruise ship passenger that comes in, or we have 5 million cruise ship visitors, government gets something from that. But we miss out on how it actually trickles down and affects um, the average person. So the government gets these work permits, but you know when you look at the cost of it, um, especially the you know indirect subsidization of say education, healthcare for you know um, illegal migrants who don't necessarily contribute to the system, you may find that you're not really benefiting in any way because if I take in a hundred million dollars in work permit fees, I have to pay the Department of Immigration, Department of Labor, I have to subsidize the hospital, subsidize the schools, at the end of the day, might be losing money. And, you know, so I think all they see right now is there's $100 million in revenue. Um, we ignore everything else. And then, of course, it trickles on into social services as well. So, you know, I don't know if we have any data to determine whether or not um, there's actually a net benefit. I saw some interesting statistics the other day where I was looking at net migration. In 1953, net migration was 1,650 persons. 2022 net migration 
was 24,261 persons. And compare that to the natural increase in population, which was 14,340 in 1953 and went to 23,592. So basically, our population growth is driven more by net migration as opposed to natural increase. That's birth, less death. So what is the implication of that statistic? Well, net migration that you will see, there may be some burdens on the public purse because you have to look for schools and housing and healthcare. And then you also have overcrowding. I would venture to say that New Providence is becoming quite overcrowded, um, especially in, in certain areas. Then you also have language and cultural barriers, um, how to we integrate persons properly into our culture. You may have culture clashes. There's pollution, pressure on the natural resources. And there's also discrimination. You know, sometimes persons don't like foreigners coming in their country. It's a, it's a hard button topic for some Bahamians where they say these persons are coming to take our jobs or they're putting a strain on our system or our taxes are being used to to take care of them. But on the other hand, if you have that net migration, you may have workers who are prepared to work for less. They may have better skills and they're able to pass them along to um, Bahamians if they're so willing to take it. And then if you have um, an increased um, persons who are qualified in certain areas, that sort of increases your overall productivity in the country. So you can look at, at both sides of it. But I think... We, like we were saying all throughout this um, discussion, like we don't know, we don't know what's happening in our own country because we simply don't collect um, and analyze the data. Yeah, I mean, I, I think overall you would find that, in my opinion, the Bahamas is underpopulated given its landmass and the amount of islands that we have. While New Providence is overpopulated, um, you know, the family islands can take um, a lot more residents. And, you know, I think secretly behind the scenes, um, the government wants migration. Um, you know, any you look at most of the developed countries, they're looking for migration, right? Now they tend to get the best from other countries, right? So they have high standards and stringent conditions. And you know, if you have a PhD in this, they'll take you. And you know, like they want the the best. But of course, they also have their illegal migration, right? If you look at the U.S., their borders are persons always cross the border illegally. So there's a mix. And I think population growth is essential to economic growth. And I think behind the scenes, the government knows that. And, you know, they said Bahamians are not having as much kids um, as necessary to replace what they call population replacement. Um, so I think secretly they want the migration and they want the growth, but they know politically it's a bad luck. And so they will never outright come out and the, say that. The challenge I have with that, and I agree, we need growth and population in order to derive the economic growth that we need. The challenge that I have, it's helter-skelter. Mm -hmm. If you came here illegally, and you don't get caught, then you stay. If you came here via legal means and you overstay, then you are rewarded down the road if you just sit tight and be patient. And that is not good for our overall development because persons that come on the lower scale will be a drain on the public purse. And we have already seen the, the Minister of National Insurance, every opportunity he gets... He's talking about, you know, the drain on, on, on national insurance. And so if you don't do it in an orderly fashion, if you don't do it intentionally and just take what you get, you're going to add to the social demise of our country. Yeah, and so it, it needs to be regulated and coordinated. These people need to be a part of the system. 
Um, you know, we don't we need to reduce as much underground economy and um living as possible. And and then I think, you know, that would be fine. If if everyone contributed, everyone helped, everyone did their part, I don't think the migration would be a problem. But, you know, that's not what's taking place. So I think we really need to be more transparent with our immigration numbers and we need to know annual net migration numbers, not every 10 years as we are privy to. And also in areas of job shortages, we need to know where they exist so that persons can direct persons, kids or children that they know to fill those, to get the skills and the experience in those fields to help fill those uh, shortages. And I think we have to also consider putting a moratorium on work permit for if, if for areas where we feel the population is too high. If we look and we say, okay, this nationality has a, a abnormally higher population than the others, we need to look at putting a moratorium on that, get this sorted out until we can move further. But to continue to issue and issue and issue work permit with no thought of how this is going to affect us down the road, I think is careless. And I think it's not good policy. Angelo and Michelle, we have come to the end of another episode of CFAL Talks. Thank you so much for contributing to this discussion and thank you, audience, for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please send us a note at info at cfile.com or visit our website at www.cfile.com and show your support. Thank you, CFAL, for sponsoring this episode. Until next time.